Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, this is a big episode this week because this, I believe, is the 200th episode of the podcast. So that's very exciting. I never thought I'd get this far, but I have. So um, well done me, but well done all of you too for listening. It's amazing the phenomena that this podcast has become with so many listeners all around Australia, but also all around the world. So thank you all for your support. All right. Now, I'm going to get into it in a second, but I'm going to pre-apologize now because um, as I sit here talking to you, there is a council worker in my backfield. There's a, there's a park right behind my house, and it's called a park. Technically, it is a park, but when you visually imagine a park, you would probably think in like play equipment and trees. The, the council has not put those things into this park. It is just a field. And because we've had an, a staggering amount of rain in the last 12 months and the last couple of months, they have not uh, mowed the lawn in the park for months because when they try to, the uh, the lawnmowers get bogged, which is a lot of fun for me because I can see it from my window and I sit and I laugh. Um, but that aside, it's been kind of funny because the, the grass and the weeds got like chest high and my children have been complaining about it because they walk across the field to get to school. Uh, I I really love stuff like this. I love seeing the human drama unfold. Some people mow like they get their little push mowers out and they mow little paths across. I, I admit I sometimes do that for my children because I get sick of drying their shoes all the time. But anyway, today the, the council has finally cracked and uh, they have gone out there and they have been mowing it. And I started this recording because I think they have finished, but I strongly suspect that any moment now someone is going to come back with a whippersnipper and go around and do the edges. So I, I cannot wait for the Windsor Caribbean Shire Council to stop mowing lawns because I suspect they're going to be doing it nonstop for about three months. So we're just going to plow on. So if you do hear a lawnmower or a whippersnipper, I think in other countries you call them weed whackers, if you hear one in the distance, I apologize in advance, but um, there's not much I can do about it apart from recording in the middle of the night, which I suppose I could do, but I'm not going to do that because I would be sleepy. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get into it because it's a long story today and uh, we want to hear it. Okay, so it's another one from the Knights of the Round Table today. If you've ever read the stories of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, this is uh, Nanny Piggins' version of the story of the Green Knight. So um, it's been titled slightly differently, and you'll see why in a moment. So here we go. The least brave knight at the round table, as told by Nanny Piggins. Why are you looking so sad, Michael? asked Nanny Piggins. Is the chocolate cake I put in your lunchbox not agreeing with you? Was there not enough of it and you're coming down with the first symptoms of starvation? Oh no, the 18 slices you jammed into my lunchbox for recess was enough to see me through until the family-sized pavlova you packed for my lunch, Michael assured her. No, there's nothing wrong. I'm just thinking about my homework. 
Oh, you poor boy, said Nanny Piggins. Thinking is the absolute worst, especially when you have to do it about homework. I do believe this homework your teachers keep setting you is a barbaric torture that should have been outlawed long ago with all the other medieval torture devices. I mean, they won't let teachers stretch you on the rack anymore or lock you in a dungeon full of rats, and yet they are allowed to set you algebra, which to my mind is twice as bad. Oh, it's not all that bad, said Michael. They just want me to write an essay. But essays are dreadful too, said Nanny Piggins. Essays are all about arguing a point reasonably and logically. And where is the fun in that? When I argue about things, I like to do it passionately and irrationally, preferably while throwing a lemon meringue pie at someone's face. Well, you might be able to help me with this essay, said Michael. We're learning about King Arthur and Camelot, so I have to write about who was the bravest knight at the round table. Well, wasn't that Sir Lancelot, asked Samantha? Or maybe his son Galahad, said Derek. But King Arthur was a knight too, said Michael, and he was really brave as well. Was it him? Do you know the answer, Nanny Piggins? Hmm, said Nanny Piggins. It's all debatable. They all had dark secrets that they kept from the ancient Celtic story writers. But I can say for sure who was the least brave knight at the round table. You can, asked Michael. Oh, yes, because the least brave knight at the round table was a distant relative of mine called Bramwell Piggins, declared Nanny Piggins. Oh, so this was another one of your male relatives who had the same name as your brother, asked Michael. Yes, it is a family name, said Nanny Piggins. The Bramwell Piggins, who was a knight at King Arthur's court, was Sir Bramwell Piggins, the 22nd. Was he a lot like your brother, asked Samantha. The children knew the current Bramwell Piggins very well, and he was a deeply lazy pig. Yes, the ancient Celtic Bramwell was exactly the same as our modern-day version, said Nanny Piggins. Regrettably, the 'er ne'er-do-well genes run strong in the male side of the Piggins family. Did the ancient Sir Bramwell disgrace himself, asked Eric. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Let me tell you the story. So the children and Boris all snuggled around while Nanny Piggins told them the tale. My distant cousin Bramwell Piggins was so useless, began Nanny Piggins, that it fell to my other distant cousin, Queen Arthur, to look after him. You remember, I told you about her. She was the one who pulled the sword from the stone and became queen of all the Britons, said Michael. That's right, said Nanny Piggins. It was a tiresome job. Ruling an entire island was all right, and gallivanting about the countryside on quests was positively fun. But the responsibility was a hassle. And the biggest hassle of all was finding her ne'er-do-well brother Bramwell a job. Obviously, she couldn't give him an important job with lots of responsibility where people relied on him, so she couldn't send him to work at a cake shop or a bakery or a chocolatier. It was one thing to constantly let down your entire family, but letting down cake customers is just plain wrong. So Queen Arthur needed to find Bramwell a job that didn't really matter. So she made him a knight of her round table. But weren't knights important, asked Michael. They liked to think they were, said Nanny Piggins. But think about it. In medieval society, the truly important people were the farmers who grew the food and the craftsmen who made tools and clothing. You can't survive without those things. Whereas all the knights would do was go around having jousting tournaments and fighting with other knights. If that stopped happening, no one would even notice. Having knights was just a way of keeping the brawniest, boneheaded troublemakers out of everyone else's way so they could get on with being good citizens. That is the exact opposite of everything we've ever been taught in history, said Derek. And yet, it makes complete sense.
If you're looking for good sense, you don't look to history, that's for sure, said Nanny Piggins. So anyway, it was coming up to the new year, and Queen Arthur had gathered all 150 of her knights around the round table. She liked to get them together a couple of times a year, just to check up on them and make sure they hadn't been disgracing themselves. If any of them got on her nerves, she'd send them on a quest. The knights all thought a quest was a tremendous honour, but really it was just her way of getting her most irritating knights to go a long way away for a long period of time. But they also had important quests, said Derek, like the search for the Holy Grail. Oh, my dear boy, said Nanny Piggins, think about what you're saying. Queen Arthur sent Lancelot, Percival and Galahad on a years-long quest to find the Holy Grail. And what is the Holy Grail? It's a cup. She sent them off for years looking for a cup. Meanwhile, her kitchen was full of cups the whole time. So you're saying she just sent them on a wild goose chase, asked Samantha? This was a truly shocking idea. No, I'm saying she sent them off on a wild cup chase, said Nanny Piggins. So anyway, as I was saying, they were all sitting around waiting for their annual work New Year party to get started, when suddenly there was a disturbance outside the Great Hall. They could hear servants shouting and the sound of horses' hooves on the stonework. Before they knew it, the doors had burst open and a knight on his great big horse rode into the Great Hall, which was dreadfully unhygienic considering that they were about to serve food. This would have been astonishing in and of itself. If you're going to crash a party, riding into someone's house on horseback is a very dramatic way to do it. But people barely noticed the rude arrival because there was something even more shocking about this particular knight. He was entirely green. What do you mean? asked Michael. He knew green could mean new or inexperienced. It could also be a name. Their own surname was green. And either of these options was easier to imagine than the actual truth. I'm saying this knight was literally green in every way, said Nanny Piggins. His pants were green, his tunic was green, his armour was green, his sword was green, his skin was green, his hair and beard were all green too. Even his horse, bridle and saddle were all completely green. And not a subtle olive green or an understated turquoise either. They were bright green, the colour of new grass in the spring. Wow, said Michael. And on top of that, said Nanny Piggins, this green knight was a total grumpy guts. Instead of saying, hello, or sorry about the horse poop I just left in your lobby, he launched straight into the death threats and challenges. Is anyone here brave enough to accept my challenge? The green knight demanded. No one responded. To be fair, this may not have been cowardice. The knights were all still staring at him, wondering how anyone could be so green. It was greener than a green tree frog, so no one was really listening to what he was saying. People don't listen to green tree frogs either for much the same reason. I thought as much, boomed the green knight. I was told the bravest knights in the realm resided here at Camelot. But all of you are too cowardly to face my challenge. Queen Arthur leapt to her feet. How dare you! If your challenge involves eating chocolate or cake, I'll have you know I won't hesitate to accept it. It is not that type of challenge, said the Green Knight. My challenge involves certain death. For the one who accepts it, or for me. The Knights of the Round Table all loved the idea of deadly challenges, so they all started yelling at once. Oh, I'll take up the challenge, yelled Lancelot. No, pick me, called Sir Percival. No, me, 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 said Sir Galahad. Queen Arthur rolled her eyes. It was exhausting keeping her knights alive when they were all so silly. 
Just then, her no-good brother Bramwell caught her eye. He had used the opportunity of everyone else being distracted by the arrival of the Green Knight to grab food off other people's plates and shove it all in his mouth at once. No, said Queen Arthur, none of you shall have this quest. I shall give it to the bravest among you all, my own brother Bramwell. Bramwell was so horrified to hear his name. He hadn't really been listening, but he could tell from his sister's tone of voice and the way everyone's heads had whipped around to look at him that something bad was happening. If you don't want to accept the challenge, continued Queen Arthur, say so now, Bramwell. Bramwell desperately wanted to say no. He wanted to scream no over and over again, but he couldn't because he had so much food in his mouth. He tried to chew it quickly, but he couldn't because there was too much to chew. He tried to swallow that, but it only made him choke. And so Gawain helped him out by slapping Bramwell hard on the back, which made him stumble forward into the centre of the room as if he was volunteering. Ah, so you are the one to accept my challenge, said the Green Knight. Um, said Bramwell, what exactly is this challenge, exactly? We shall each strike one blow at the other's neck. Uh Uh-huh, said Bramwell. This seemed simple, if unpleasant. I will allow you to strike first, said the Green Knight. Oh, good, said Bramwell. He liked the idea of striking someone much better than he liked the idea of being struck himself. If I survive the blow, said the Green Knight, then you must allow me to strike you one blow to the neck. One year from today, at my home, the Green Castle. This did sound like a strange and protracted way of having a fight, but Bramwell reasoned that if he struck first, so long as he cut the Green Knight's head off, then he'd have nothing to worry about. And if for some reason he didn't manage to cut the Green Knight's head off, he'd have a whole year to try and get out of the consequences. Um, okay, said Bramwell. Prepare to be struck. All the other knights cheered, mistaking Bramwell's stupidity for bravery. The Green Knight got off his horse, kneeled down on the ground, pulled back his hair and exposed his neck. Do your worst, said the Green Knight. All right, said Bramwell. Now, Bramwell may have been lazy, no good and useless, but he was very good at eating cake. And over the years, he had become very good at cutting cake. So he knew how to handle a sword, because a sword and a cake knife are much the same thing. If anything, in the Piggins family, we tend to have cake knives that are even bigger and heavier than swords, so we can cut up massive cakes very quickly. So Bramwell swung his cake sword high above his head and using all his body weight, which was a lot, slammed down the sword into the Green Knight's neck, slicing off his head in one blow. The crowd erupted in cheers, but then the Green Knight's body stood up and grabbed its own head. Both the body and the head were still alive. In fact, the head started talking to him. You have had your blow, said the Green Knight's head, and as you can see, I am still alive. You will come to my castle one year hence, and I shall have my one strike back. With that, the Green Knight jumped on his horse and galloped out of the room. Oh dear, said Bramwell. Bramwell spent most of the next year trying to run away, but Queen Arthur was vigilant and never let him get further than the vegetable garden. When the next New Year's feast was drawing near, Bramwell set out to journey to the Green Knight's castle. He travelled for days across the wild countryside until he came to a lovely castle. Bramwell knew it wasn't the Green Knight's castle because it wasn't green, but he still had three days until he had to confront the Green Knight, so Bramwell thought he'd stop here and ask to rest for a night before he continued his journey. 
Bramwell tentatively knocked upon the door, half expecting to be chased off. But when the door flew open, a happy gentleman was standing there. "'Why, hello, a visitor!' said the happy gentleman. "'We so rarely get visitors in these parts. What a magnificent treat!' Bramwell explained that he was looking for the Green Knight's castle. This made the happy gentleman even happier. Why, that's perfect, he exclaimed. The Green Knight lives only an hour's ride away. You can stay here for the next three days until New Year's Day. Bramwell loved the idea of resting, so he instantly agreed, and it proved to be a good decision. The happy gentleman was a wonderful host. He had his staff serve all the finest food. His beautiful wife came and sang for them and told them wonderful stories. Then before they went to bed, the happy gentleman told Bramwell, "'Tomorrow morning I rise early to go hunting.' The thought of this horrified Bramwell. "'Because he didn't approve of hunting?' asked Samantha. "'No, because he didn't approve of getting up early,' explained Nanny Piggins. But that is not what the happy gentleman had in mind. He urged Bramwell, "'You stay in bed. You need your rest for when you face the green night. Sleep as long as you like. My wife will be here if you need anything while I'm away. But let us make a merry bargain. Any prize I win while I'm out, I will gift you on my return. And in exchange, any prize you get here in the castle, you will gift to me. Bramwell laughed and agreed to the bargain because that seemed to be the polite thing to do, and then he went off to bed. He slept late, only awakening when the wife of the house came in to bring him breakfast in bed. She had a whole tray towering with cakes and pastries. Bramwell was the happiest pig alive. He tucked into the food straight away. But as Bramwell ate, it soon came to his attention that the wife was flirting with him. She was telling him he was handsome and brave and intelligent. Bramwell didn't often hear these things, so he knew it was flirting. This made Bramwell uncomfortable. She was distracting him from his food, so he politely made light of her comments and deflected her flirtatious suggestions. And in the end, the wife gave up. She said she would leave Bramwell to his meal if he would give her but one kiss. Bramwell was happy to pay that price to finish his meal in peace, so he quickly kissed her on the cheek, then went back to guzzling baked goods. When the happy gentleman returned, he had bagged three fine deer while out hunting. "'My friend, Sir Bramwell, I present you with my prizes. Three deer. Now what have you won for me while I was away?' "'Just this,' said Bramwell. He put his hands on the happy gentleman's shoulders and kissed him once on the cheek. The happy gentleman laughed at this. "'And who did you win this prize from?' Bramwell did not want to get in trouble, so he said, "'Ah, ah, ah, that was not the deal. I was to give you my prize, not reveal who I won it from.' The happy gentleman laughed at this clever evasion, and all was well. So the next day, the happy gentleman went out hunting again, and again Bramwell slept in, only to be awoken by the wife bearing breakfast. And again she flirted with him, but this time even more outrageously. But again Bramwell made light of all her suggestions in a very gentlemanly manner. The wife finally agreed to leave Bramwell to his breakfast, but this time she wanted two kisses. Bramwell didn't enjoy having to put down his cake, but he did it, kissed her twice, and she left him to eat in peace. When the happy gentleman returned, he handed Bramwell seven rabbits and asked what Bramwell had for him in return. Just this, said Bramwell. He grasped the happy gentleman by the shoulders and kissed him twice, once on each cheek. The happy gentleman thought this was a wonderful joke, and all was well. Then the next day he went out hunting a third time, and for a third time the wife brought Bramwell his breakfast. And this time she was even more demanding. She flirted and she cajoled. She argued that Bramwell was going to face the Green Knight tomorrow and would surely die, so it would be much better if he just ran away with her instead. 
Bramwell did not want to run anywhere. He hated running. He didn't even like fast walking, so he refused all her entreaties. The wife eventually said she would go if he would accept four gifts from her. What four gifts? asked Bramwell suspiciously. This, said the lady, with which she leaned in and kissed him three times. And then this. The wife pulled a ribbon from her hair. If you wear this ribbon, it will protect you from all injury. Now, Bramwell was terrified of facing the Green Knight the next day, so having a piece of ribbon that gave him superpowers made him very happy. Oh, thank you very much, he said, and he tied the ribbon about his wrist under his sleeve. When the happy gentleman returned home with a pair of partridges, he asked Bramwell what he had won, and Bramwell gave him the three kisses. The gentleman laughed harder than ever, but Bramwell did not say anything about the scrap of ribbon. He reasoned it was not much of a prize, and he would surely need it when he faced the Green Knight the next day, so he didn't want to give it to the happy gentleman. The next morning, Bramwell set off to find the Green Castle. He'd only ridden for an hour when he came to a run-down old castle that was entirely bright green. Bramwell didn't even have time to knock on the door before the Green Knight came galloping out on his great green charger. "'So you have come to face me,' said the Green Knight." Get down on your knees and get ready to receive your blow. Bramwell was already on his knees because his legs had turned to jelly at the sight of the fearsome knight. Green Knight drew his mighty green sword high and Bramwell bent his neck. If he was going to have his head chopped off, he thought it would be better if it was just one quick blow. Bramwell heard the swoosh of the sword through the air, felt the ice cold of the blade, but it only just scratched the skin before clunking into the ground. Bramwell leapt up and staggered back, in case the Green Knight should strike again. But he did not. And before his eyes, the Green Knight changed. He was still green, but his features transformed. And Bramwell realised he was now looking at the happy gentleman. "'Your honesty saved you from my sword,' said the Green Knight. "'I sent my wife to tempt you, but each time you rebuffed her, and duly gave me each kiss you had won.' The scratch on your neck is for the ribbon. You did not give me that. Bramwell was so ashamed he fell to his knees once more. Oh, please do take another swipe at me with your sword. If I return home and tell them what I've done, I'll never hear the end of it. Nay, keep the ribbon. It was but a small crime, said the Green Knight. You feared for your life, which is understandable. You are a goodly man to refuse the temptation before you. You may now go home unscathed. Bramwell considered explaining that he had just wanted the wife to leave him alone so he could eat his breakfast, but he realised that now was not the time to start embracing honesty. So instead, Sir Bramwell ran all the way back to Camelot, and when he got there, he was hailed a hero by all the other knights of the round table. Queen Arthur guessed the truth, but everyone else assumed that Sir Bramwell's bravery and honesty had saved him from the Green Knight, when in reality, Bramwell's life had been saved by his greediness for breakfast food which is why, to this day, it is still an expression frequently used that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. The end. Time for bed. Is that really where that expression comes from? asked Derek. My dear boy, said Nanny Piggins, how many times do I have to tell you? Never let the truth or reality ruin a good tale. The end. Well, I hope you enjoyed the story. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. 